Happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone. Are you blessed thus far? Are you glad that you came, you wake up early, you drive, and you're here to be with us to worship God on the day that the whole world stops and thinks about our resurrected Lord. I was thinking about what to preach this morning, and it suddenly dawned upon me that I should preach about the resurrection. Right? Right? What do you think I should be preaching on Christmas Day? Christmas. On Thanksgiving Day? Thanksgiving. On Resurrection Sunday, I should be preach, preaching and I will be sharing God's word with all of us about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a story about two pastors, especially here in the, in the U.S. You apply for the position of a pastor. So you have to go through a committee, and you come up here in the pulpit, and you preach, and usually the congregation, you know, they evaluate you, and this is the pastor that we want. So there were two pastors. The first pastor that they were evaluating spoke about Good Friday, the passion of Jesus Christ, everything that he went through. And it was really a great and powerful message. So the pastor who was coming after him on the next Sunday, thought, what am I going to preach now? He gave such a moving and impassionate preaching on Good Friday. How can I, you know, better his preaching? So he used the illustration or the preaching of the previous pastor and he said, Oh, Friday's good. Yes, Friday's good. But Sunday's coming. Oh, Friday's good. But Sunday's coming. Oh, yes, indeed. Friday's good. But Sunday is coming. What does Mark 16, 6 tell us? Can we read this? He is, he is what? Risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Yes, they hung Jesus on the cross. They nailed him to the cross. There upon that cross, he died. Oh, Friday's good. But Sunday's coming. When they went to the tomb, what did they see? Nothing. There was no one there. Why? Because he is risen. He is risen. Now, let me show you two short video clips. I'll ask Brother George to turn off the light so you can see it better. Here's a video about Palm Sunday. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He's a prophet, a great prophet. A prophet? On the donkey? Yeah. This is the healer of the sick! You have come to deliver us! Isaiah said, Jerusalem, daughter of Zion, behold thy king! Master, you are the hope of Israel. You are prophet and Savior. That was Palm Sunday. And they welcomed Jesus who was atop of a donkey. And what were they shouting at him? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And they called him a prophet. They called him their king. They called him their savior. That was Palm Sunday. But on Good Friday. Good 
By Friday of the same week, the shouts of Messiah, prophet, savior, and king became shouts of crucify him, crucify him, free Barabbas. What shall I do with this man? Crucify him. And what does Pilate do? I will have nothing to do with this man. Even Pilate himself, himself said, I find no fault in this man. So how, how in the world could this become this? How? Why? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Let me share with you briefly seven reasons why. First, restitution. What is restitution? Romans 3.25 tells us, okay, I'm fine. There are no more videos. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished restitution sin pays its wage death someone had to die Someone had to appease the anger of God towards sin. And through Christ, through what He did, through His sacrifice on the cross, there was restitution for you and for me. It was God who presented His very own Son as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement is a satisfactory payment for a wrong done. The only thing is that Jesus Christ, even by Pilate's account, had done nothing wrong. He went to the cross for your restitution and mine. He was God's atoning sacrifice. Secondly, what Jesus did on the cross brought reprieve. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, and according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness. When I give you a reprieve, you are pardoned. When I give you a reprieve, you are forgiven. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. You know, we just say, sorry. And then when the argument isn't settled and the issue is still brewing, what do we say? I already said I'm sorry. Are you really sorry if that's your attitude? And you say that I forgive you and then time and time again you bring it up? Is that true forgiveness? Forgiveness as defined by Scripture, someone has to pay. Someone has to pay with the shedding of blood. The shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary gives us reprieve, gives us forgiveness. He gives us restitution. He gives us reprieve. Third, his death on the cross brings us redemption. Galatians 4.4 4, tells us but when the fullness of time came god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons redemption means to recover something by means of payment in the philippines i used to be a banker and we had a financial product called the buyback scheme. You give your money to us on day one, 
And after 30 days, we will buy back your promissory note at interest. I will redeem my note. If you go to the Philippines, or if you have done it, the same idea. You go to the pawn shop, you give your jewelry, they give you a receipt. When you pay the principal plus the interest, you may redeem your article, your jewelry. But for you to have redemption, there must be payment. Without payment, there is no redemption. And what did Jesus Christ do for us? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, for what purpose? So that He, meaning Christ, might redeem those, us, who were under the law, that what? We might receive the adoption as sons. Why is it in the fullness of time? Historically, it could not have been any other time. Why? Because it was only during the Roman Empire that they executed criminals by crucifixion. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, when Nicodemus encountered Jesus, Jesus told him about the Old Testament. So for a Pharisee to discuss the Old Testament, that's really down their line. That's their element. And he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And in the desert, when the people sinned, God told Moses, Moses, make a serpent of bronze. Put it on a standard and lift it up so that anyone who has sinned may gaze upon the serpent and be saved. And Jesus Christ, Gave the parallel. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And you saw what they did to Jesus. They put him on a pole. We call it a cross. And where did they put him? They lifted him up. Up on Mount Golgotha, which is called the place of the skull. So that anyone who looked and placed their faith on Jesus might be saved. Restitution, reprieve, redemption. Fourthly, what Jesus Christ did brought us reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the world of reconciliation. You see, many of us try to reconcile ourselves to God. Well, if this is God's standard, then from now on, I'll try to be more religious. I'll go to church more often. I'll read my Bible more. I'll give to church more. I'll do more ministry so that God will accept me. Friends, we are missing the point. It is God who is reconciling Himself to us. And to prove that, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. It was God reconciling the world to Himself, not counting our trespasses against Him, because the penalty of our sin fell on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He Himself bore our sins on the body on the cross, that we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. It is God who is doing the reconciling. Not us. Fifthly. What Jesus Christ did on the cross. Brings relationship. From the same verse we read a while ago. But when the fullness of time came. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, so that we, he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive what? Adoption. Adoptions as sons. I don't know if there's anyone here who grew up as an orphan. Perhaps you didn't know your father, you didn't know your mother. 
imagine what insecurity you have. You might go to a party and they ask you, who'd you come with? No, I came alone. Why? Didn't your parents bring you? No, I don't have any parents. Scripturally speaking, the Bible tells us in John chapter 8, Jesus says, you are of your father, the what? The devil. If you do things that the devil does, you are following the footsteps of your father. Therefore, you are of your father, the devil. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross brings us what? A new relationship. We are no longer to be under the control of the evil one. Because now through Jesus Christ, we can be or we have adoption into the kingdom of God. And we are considered sons. And the book of Galatians tells us that if we are sons, then we are heirs. And if we are heirs, we are co-heirs with Christ. The death of Jesus Christ on Calvary brings us relationship. 1 John 1, 12 and 13 tells us that whoever believes, whoever receives Him, God gives the right to be called what? A child of God. The death of Christ on the cross brings relationship. Sixthly, the death of Christ brings release. Do you know that you and I were under a curse? Deuteronomy tells us that if we desire to go to heaven based on our capacity to completely obey God's commandments 24-7 perfectly, that it's really a curse. Because cursed is someone who relies ob on obeying the law to fulfill the law. And we are not able to fill and fulfill the law 100% of the time, 24-7. What do I mean by release? Galatians 3.13 Christ what redeemed us from the, the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree Jesus Christ became your curse and mine the curse the wrath of God over sin fell on him the verse that I showed you on the crucifixion video from Isaiah he was pierced through for our transgressions he was tempted in every way yet was without sin he became a curse for us and because he became a curse for us guess what we are no longer under that curse we are now released and I would like to release the owner of Mitsubishi Montero. It's color white with plate number 4, PHE201. I think your car is blocking somebody else. You see, I've just released him. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the death, the death of Christ brings release. Okay, ba? It brings release. If you're released, what do you have? You have freedom. You have freedom, friends, because of what Jesus Christ has done. You are no longer living under a curse. During that time, what happened? The clouds darkened. And all the sins of all of mankind fell upon Jesus Christ. And for the very first time in his 33 years of existence as both man and God, God incarnate, for the very first time, he addressed God the Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? During the time of his ministry, every time he would come and pray, Father, even at the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, 
If it is possible, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. But while he was hanging on the cross, for the very first time, he addressed God the Father, his Father, as what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was during that time that our curse fell on him. And because our curse fell on him, it brings us release. We are no longer subject to the law because now we are under the grace of God. Lastly, it brings resolution. What do I mean? John 19.30 says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, the Bible tells us that no one took the life of Jesus. He said, I freely give it. So he breathed his last. But before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. He said, tetelestai, which in Greek means paid in full. When something is borrowed, when something is owed, and it is paid in full, you have the resolution to the case. The case is settled. The debt is paid. There is complete resolution. When Jesus Christ said it is finished, the book of Hebrews tells us, after this, he sat down at the right hand of God and awaits for the world to be made his footstool. Brothers and sisters, the death of Jesus Christ brings an end to our attempts to pay for our sin because the wages of sin is death. And the complete payment for all of our sin is resolved, is resolute in the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Why? 99.999% of us, and perhaps a majority even of the world outside these walls, know this verse. And why did Jesus Christ go through that? Because of God's love. For God so loved the world that what? That He gave. He sacrificed what? He gave His one and only begotten Son. Those of you who have more than one child, let me ask you this. Which of your children would you sacrifice for a family member? Maybe you would sacrifice one of your children for a family member. But would you sacrifice your child if you only had one? And would you sacrifice that one for a criminal? So that criminal could go free. I think not. I wouldn't. But God, in His mercy, in His love, and in His inexplicable grace, He said, for God so loved the world, that he gave. He gave his one and only begotten son. He sacrificed his one and only begotten son so that we who are destined for hell, eternal separation from God, would not have to go to hell and instead of going to hell, spend eternal life with God and Jesus in heaven. That is the only motivation for Jesus Christ to go to the cross. God's love. And I still can't explain it fully. The time that I can explain it to you fully about the love and the grace of God, I would probably be in heaven. Because I do not believe that anyone can really explain thoroughly about the love 
the unconditional love and the magnificent grace of our Lord. That he would send his perfect, sinless son, his one and only son, to die for me. And I know my sins. And my God knows all of my sins, past, present, and future. Yet he loves me so much that he would sacrifice his son for my redemption, for my restitution, for my relationship. Jesus went to the cross and his going to the cross meant restitution, reprieve, redemption, reconciliation, relationship, release, and resolution. Oh, Friday's good. Friday's good. But all of this is nothing. So what? So what if Jesus went to the cross for restitution, reprieve, redemption, reconciliation, relationship, release, and resolution? So what? All the prophets of modern day religions tell us that they're the way to eternal life. But no one claimed to die and after three days rise from the dead. All of these things that Jesus Christ went to the cross for is canceled out if not for Resurrection Sunday. Without the resurrection, everything that Jesus Christ went to the cross through for is for nothing. Why? This must take place. He must have risen from the dead. For all of the seven to be of benefit to us, He must have resurrected. The tomb must be empty. Just as he promised. Why? First Corinthians 15 tells us, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So all the things that your leadership, your pastors are doing, are useless. Because we've been telling you, we've been praying for you, we've been preaching to you, about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And if, friends, there is no resurrection, the Apostle Paul tells us that your faith is what? Useless. You believed in a lie. Why? Because Jesus did not rise from the dead. His body is there. His bones are there. So this person whom you call the Messiah, whom we crucified, is just a man. His bones are there. We have preached to you in vain and your faith is useless. Paul continues, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised. So your pastors are what? Liars. Liars go to hell. Liars go to hell. We are what? False witnesses. We have been claiming and proclaiming and professing, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And then, where's the tomb? Oh, why is there a body? Why are there bones? False witness. He goes on. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ had not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sins. If Christ did not rise from the dead, the person you claim, I claim, to have died in place of my sins is what? Also dead. Therefore, this person who says that through his death my sins are forgiven and his body is still there, he's just a human being like you and me. 
Therefore, He is not the Son of God as He claimed. Therefore, His death on the cross is not sufficient to pay for my sins. Therefore, Paul writes, you are still dead in your sins. If Jesus did not resurrect. He is just a human being, just like you and me. He is a false prophet. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. People who have come to faith in Christ, believing that He is the Messiah, the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, all of those people who have died are lost because they have believed in a false prophet. They believed in just another human being. And in verse 19, it says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We, we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we who have given up the world and its attractions and decided I will follow Jesus no matter what. Those 30-something of you who stood behind this wall and were, were baptized early part, of, middle of last year, who sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. What does the Bible talk of you? You of all people are to be most pitied. You traded away the good life. Your bars, your women, your gambling, all of the above. You gave them all for what? For nothing. Because the person that you place your faith on is dead. And all his claims were lies. You of all people are to be pitied. Look at us. We're living it up. And you go to church. You go to your midweek small group meetings. You read your Bible. You give 10% if not more to your fellowship. You of all people should be pitied. If not for the resurrection. And Paul writes, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Is your faith futile? Are you to be most pitied? Praise be to God that He is what? He is risen. He is risen. And all that you've given up for the Lord, the Lord knows. And none of us who follow Jesus will ever be put to shame. None of us will ever regret our decision to follow Christ. Why? Because He is risen. He is alive. He is who He said He is. And what He has done brings me salvation, forgiveness of my sins, restitution, redemption, relationship. It is finished. Religion says do. Do this, do this, do this. God says done. Done in Jesus. Yes, he died, but yes, he lives, and he lives forevermore. Oh yes, Friday was good, but Sunday has come. He is risen. Friends, all of this knowledge is good, but knowledge, truth, does not change lives. Only applied truth changes lives. All of this is worth absolutely nothing if it just stays in your mind. Knowledge and truth must translate from head knowledge to your heart. And this is what Paul writes. You and I must come to a resolution. You and I must come to a point of decision. Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what's His promise? You will be saved. The key, the key to salvation, therefore, is this. 
that small two-letter word. If. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe that God raised him from the dead, what's the promise? You'll be saved. Why? Because for the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So it's not enough just to know and believe in your mind that Jesus is who he says he is. That from what he has done, you can receive eternal life unless you take a step of faith. Unless you resolve within yourself, yes, Jesus is who he says he is. And all that the Bible tells me about why he died on the cross is of great importance and benefit to me. And that I believe that his resurrection is proof that he is God. And if he resurrected from the dead, then his promise of eternal life, he can make good because he himself rose from the dead. Takes two. You must confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. But you must also believe that God raised him from the dead. You can't just say that I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. You must come to that point of faith. I believe that Jesus is alive. And if I ask him to come into my life, he lives his life in and through me. And then what is the promise? It results in salvation. Have you ever done that? You know, Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday will be just another Sunday if you have not yet come to this point of confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because without those two, brethren, you cannot lay claim to salvation. And it's an invitation. Jesus Christ, God, doesn't force things on us. He invites us. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus Christ extends an invitation. An invitation to a close, intimate relationship. Now, not everyone is invited to a home-cooked meal, right? Only certain people, your close friends, your close family members, are invited to have a home-cooked meal. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ is asking for us to establish with Him. He's on the outside. And he's knocking. And the only doorknob is on the inside. And the person on the inside must make a decision to rise and stop whatever you're doing and go to the door, twist the knob, open the door, and invite the person on the other side to come in. And according to the promise of Jesus Christ, if you do that, he said, I will come in. And what's the purpose? I'm going to check in your house. I'm going to see if the dishes are washed. I'm going to see if the bed is made. I'm going to see if... No. He said, I want to come in and dine with you. And you will dine with me. And we'll talk about life. We'll have this intimate one-on-one. -on -one. So how are things going, son? Remember, you have adoption. And Jesus, this is what's going on. Well, you know, this is what I say in my word, right? So what do you think you should do about it? Jesus Christ is not a taskmaster. He loves us. And he wants us to grow in this relationship. And he has put us in a community with other believers to help us grow in that relationship. 
It's called what? Discipleship. But it begins with the first step. Have you received the good news? Have you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and really believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Have you invited Jesus Christ? Because if you don't believe who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you, I submit to you, you're not going to invite him into your life. It's like the Electrolux salesman. When you open the door, uh-uh, not buying clothes. But Jesus wants to come in and have relationship with you. Are you willing to do that? Have you ever come to that point? You know, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to close in a word of prayer right now, and I ask the band to come up. It's a special. We're going to have some music at the end. So band, please come up. I don't know where you are specifically in your spiritual journey all I know is what the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved I also know that from the invitation of Jesus that he desires a close intimate relationship with you is that what you want? Friend, if you're trying to reconcile yourself to God, the answer is very simple. God has been trying to reconcile himself to you. If you've been looking for God, I have good news for you. He's been looking for you. And he promised that if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me, with all of your heart. Shall we all bow and pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross in payment for all of my sins. Lord Jesus, I also believe in my heart of hearts that you rose from the dead and that you are God. Lord, today I ask you to come into my life as my Savior, as my Lord. I confess with my mouth, Lord Jesus, that you will be the Lord of my life from this day on. And I believe, Lord, in the depths of my heart that you are risen from the dead. And Lord, because the tomb is empty, my heart can be full of you today. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit move in this place to respond to that child, that lost child who's looking for you. Lord, move in this place and speak to our hearts, Lord God. Lord, I pray that as your Spirit moves, your Holy Spirit will find a personal relationship with Jesus in every single soul, every single heart represented here. Brother or sister, perhaps you are that person. It is no accident that you're here today. So pray in your own words. Confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And claim, claim the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has paid for. And we'll be careful to give you back the glory, the honor, and the praise. There is love that came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my shame and sinfulness. 
you rose again victorious faithfulness none can deny through the storm and through the fire there is truth that sets me free jesus christ who lives in me let's all stand and sing you are stronger you are stronger you are stronger sin is broken you have saved me it is written christ is risen jesus you our lord of all no beginning and no end you're my hope and my defense you came to see and save the lost you paid it all upon the God for the sacrifice that you gave on the cross, Father. We lift your name high, Jesus. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. Amen. Give your God a clap offering, church. God, we, you are stronger than sin, Father God, and you have broken the chains, Jesus. May your kingdom come, Father God, in our lives and in this world. May your kingdom come and your will be done as we serve your heart serve your heart let salvation flow as your people pray lord we long for more long for chance together your love reaches out to me your grace has made a way to you, made a way to you. Your 
Have a good Sunday, everyone.